Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. If you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to meet you. Here's a change of schedule. Beginning April 29th until June 17th, we will be meeting at 8.30 a.m., 9.45 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 12.45 p.m. We are located at 65 East Williston Avenue in East Williston, New York. For more information, visit us at visitbeacon.com. See you soon. Might be familiar with amazing grace, these words, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Uh, and these words, they're not just the lyrics of probably the most popular song of all times. These are actually the personal testimony of the author, John Newton. He was, he was the worst. He was. He was just this uh, belligerent, drunk, and obnoxious, insubordinate, blaspheming, profane, slave-trading, heathen. He was just, he was a really awful guy. He's like, if you bring to mind just like that, that quintessential frat boy bro, and then you add on slave trading. That is John Newton, all right? And then one day, John Newton met Jesus, and Jesus transformed his life to the point where he became a, a noted uh, gospel preacher and hymn writer, and he became an abolitionist, right? He became a, a mentor and close friend uh, and advocate to William Wilberforce, which if, if you know, William Wilberforce is largely responsible for ending the slave trade in the UK, which inspired the end of the slave trade here in the US. God took this, this awful, awful man and transformed him into somebody completely different who made a lasting impact on the world. And, and so John Newton was able to write these words from a place of personal testimony. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see amazing, amazing grace. And we're starting a new series today where we're talking about the difference that Jesus makes in our lives. And we can, we can tell countless stories over the last 2,000 years of people whose lives have been just radically changed by Jesus over and over and over again, right? We, we know this. There's no question that Jesus can make a massive difference in a person's life, right? And yet... And yet, we also know this doesn't always happen, right? Over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at specific ways Jesus makes a difference, how we, we use our finances and our, how we view sexuality and how we use the truth and, and our freedom and stuff like this. We're going to look at various ways that Jesus makes a difference in our lives, and we could see how he has done this in so many lives before. And we know that Jesus can but we also know that Jesus doesn't always seem to make a difference in people's lives. In fact, uh, Barna Research back in 2016, they said that 73% of Americans identify as Christians. 73% of Americans identify as Christians. And I, I think it's safe to say that not three quarters of Americans seem to be changed by Jesus, right? For every, for every John Newton story, it seems like there's a thousand other people who identify as Christians but remain largely unchanged by the, the truth of who Jesus is. And so as we kick off this series, before we get into the specifics of how Jesus makes a change in our lives, I actually want to talk about the Jesus that makes a difference, 
Because there's a lot of different Jesuses out there. Jesus, Jesus, Jesai out there, all right? <laughs> there's a lot of Jesai out there. Uh, and and we, we, if we want to experience this transformation, we need to know the real Jesus, right? And, and if we want to be secure in our relationship with Jesus, we want to be assured that we know the real Jesus. Because even Jesus himself said that there are going to be a whole, whole crowds of people that come up to him in that last day. And they're going to say, you know, they're going to call him Lord. They're going to say, we did all these things in your name. And Jesus is going to say, dude, I don't know who you are, <laughs> right? Jesus said this. And so it, it's good for all, us, no matter who you are, wherever you are, to, uh, to ask these questions. You know, do I know the real Jesus? And what's great is we don't have to, like, guess, right? We don't have to guess what this looks like because Jesus himself told us what it looks like when somebody gets to know him. When somebody finds the real Jesus, we, he gives us a picture of what it looks like. And so that's what we're going to look at today. If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to open up to Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 44. Uh, and we are going to look at two of the shortest parables in all of Scripture. Tiny, tiny parables, uh, both told by Jesus. If you're not familiar with what a parable is, it's just kind of like a, a little word picture. Jesus loved using parables to teach, to make a point. They're very, very effective. And these two tiny parables, they take up all of three verses combined, right? But they both make the same point. Matthew 13, beginning verse 44, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and he sold everything he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and he sold everything he had and he bought it. Right? Two parables, nearly, nearly identical. In the first parable, you have this guy stumbling across a hidden treasure. And this was not uncommon in this day. People would often bury their valuables to keep them safe because they didn't have safety deposit boxes and stuff like that. And sometimes they would bury them, but then like, they would die or something would happen to them and their, their buried treasure would just stay there. And years later, somebody would stumble upon it. And so Jesus is saying, there's a guy who just kind of stumbles upon this hidden treasure. And when he finds it, he sees that it is more valuable than everything else that he has. And so he goes and he sells all of his possessions so that he could buy the field so the treasure becomes his, all right? Try not to get caught up in the ethics of this parable. Jesus is not saying like, hey, if you find buried treasure in your neighbor's yard, don't tell them, hide it, and then go and buy their yard. And uh, uh, it's not the point that Jesus is trying to make, uh, all right? So he's just saying that this, this man, he found a treasure worth everything, right? And in his joy, he sold everything to get it. And then the second parable, very similar. Here you have a merchant who's actually searching for fine pearls. And the, the cultural context is helpful here because pearls in this day and age, the, they were like the hot commodity, right? They were the thing to have. I was trying to come up with a, a kind of modern comparison as I was prepping the message, and I realized I couldn't. And this was very, very unsettling for me because I realized, guys, I'm, I'm getting old. I'm so, I'm so old and out of touch. I don't even know what the hot commodity is anymore. Like, what is hip these days? I, I just said hip. Like, what is wrong with me? Oh, oh, I'm okay. Uh, 
But pearls in this day, these, these were the hot commodity. Like everybody, you know, these were the, the much sought after. And so this guy is looking for one of great value and he finds it. And when he does, he sells everything that he has because he realized everything else that he has isn't worth as much as this pearl. And he, he gives up everything to get it. All right, super short parables. And yet in these four parables, we actually get to, sorry, in these two parables, we actually get to see four qualities of the real Jesus, the Jesus that makes a difference, four qualities that will be present in our lives, in our relationship with Jesus, if we know this Jesus, the one that makes a difference, right? So the first quality is that Jesus is a king, all right? This Jesus, the Jesus that makes a difference in people's lives, he is a king. Jesus starts off both parables by talking about the kingdom of heaven. And if you're not familiar, when he talks about the kingdom of heaven, he's not talking about the place where we go when we die. That's not what he means. The kingdom of heaven is anywhere where Jesus is king, where he rules and he reigns. It's not like a a specific place or anything like that. In fact, in Luke 17, Jesus says, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is or, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. So wherever there is a person who is worshiping Jesus, like where Jesus rules and reigns in their lives and they're living that out, then in that place, the kingdom of God is present. And there's a sense in which the kingdom of God is still coming. Like one day Jesus is gonna come and every knee will bow, every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. And then the kingdom of God will come. But even here and now, Jesus says it's in our midst that where we go, if Jesus rules and reigns in our life, the kingdom of heaven is there. Jesus is a king, right? He's a king. He's, he's not just a, a buddy. He's not just a, a friend. He's not just some guy that we pray to. And when, when we find this Jesus, we are finding a new king. We are, being, we are being transferred from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of heaven, right? It's a complete, complete change of where we are, right? A new king, a new authority, a new realm, a new society. We are being transferred from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of heaven. When I was going into seventh grade, I transferred from uh, a private Christian school, small private Christian school, to public school for the very first time. All right, and when I went into public school, it was completely different. There was a new dress code, there were new rules, new people to answer to, new friends, new trends. It was completely different place. And in, in this particular story, it was a little more like transferring from the kingdom of heaven to the kingdom of this world, because uh, there was stuff going on there. It was like the first day, and I saw kids making out in the hall. I'm like, what? <laughs> kids my age doing what? Uh, needless to say, it did not take very long for me to change <laughs> in, in this new environment. See, when we, when we find Jesus, we are finding a new king and we are entering into a new kingdom. And so the, the question I have for you is, is Jesus your king? Is Jesus your king? Not, not just did you find a new religion or a new church, or, but is Jesus the one who rules and reigns in your life? Do you live in this realm of the kingdom of God. Is Jesus your king? The second quality we see in these parables is that this Jesus, the one that makes all the difference, this Jesus needs to be found, all right? In both parables, we see that the, uh, they're finding something, right? They're finding it. It has to be sought out in the second parable, the person searching for a pearl. In the first one, he finds this hidden treasure, 
right? And so Jesus needs to actually be found. The real Jesus needs to be found for two reasons. One is he's hidden. Jesus is hidden. The kingdom of God is hidden. And it might not seem that way here in the U.S. in the 21st century because we hear about Jesus all the time, right? Even in TV and movies and stuff like that, like, he might not be painted in the best light all the time, but we hear about Jesus. He doesn't seem that hidden. And, and whereas Jesus, in other parts of the world and other times, Jesus might be hidden in obscurity, I think here in our day and age, in our society, Jesus is hidden in plain sight, right? Because there are all sorts of ideas about Jesus that are out there right in front of us, and yet the truth of Jesus remains hidden. We have to find the truth of Jesus as he's revealed in scripture, not just what people say or what we were taught growing up. So, so we need to be found because he's hidden, but we also need to find Jesus because nobody starts with Jesus, right? Nobody is born a Christian. I love what, the way Nikki Gumbel says it in the Alpha Course. He says, being born in a Christian country doesn't make you a Christian any more than being born in McDonald's would make you a hamburger, right? Uh, and, and the same goes with like being born in a Christian family. Like having Christian parents doesn't make somebody a Christian either. Or, or going to church or being baptized and communed and confirmed and all of this doesn't make somebody a Christian. To, to be a Christian, we need to find Jesus for ourselves. Nobody starts a Christian. We all have to have this experience where, where I, I found Jesus. Like I grew up in a Christian home, I had Christian parents, but I still had to find Jesus for myself. It wasn't until I was 16 that I actually, I discovered who Jesus was. And it changed my life after that. My wife, my wife will tell you the same story. She grew up in a Christian family. She knew about Jesus her whole life, but it wasn't until sometime after college that she would say, I found Jesus for myself. Even John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, he grew up in the church, and yet he still strayed and he still became this terrible guy because he didn't find Jesus until much later in his life. And so my question for you is, when did you find Jesus? And I don't ask, did you find Jesus? I want to ask, when did you find Jesus? Because if Jesus really is a treasure like this, you would know when you found this. You would know, right? There's something about it that you're like, if you stumbled across buried treasure, you wouldn't say like, oh, sometime, uh, I just, I guess I always had this treasure. No, you would know when you found this treasure. So when did you find Jesus? And, and you might not be able to pinpoint a specific moment, uh, in time, like it might not be, I know some of you have like a date and a time, you know exactly where you were. But others of you, it might have been like a, a period of time. Uh, I've heard it described as if like you're on a train traveling across uh, a border into a different country. Some people might be awake when they cross the border and they'll know the exact moment when they cross the border. Other people might be asleep when they cross the border. So they won't know the exact moment, but they'll know that they crossed and they'll know kind of a, a general time frame when this happened. Uh, like, can you look back and say, all right, I know here I didn't know Jesus, and here I did. Because none of us start with Jesus. We all have to find him for ourselves. And if you can't identify like, well, I, was, I didn't know him here and I did know him here, then there, there's the possibility that maybe you've never found Jesus for yourself. That maybe you found religion, maybe you found some moral teachings, but do you know who Jesus is? Have you found him for yourself? The third quality we see in these parables is that Jesus, this Jesus, the Jesus that makes a difference, this Jesus brings joy to those who find him. He brings joy. In this first parable, the guy, he actually offloads everything that he has in his joy, it says, in his joy. 
Like imagine if all of your possessions were burned up in a fire. You lost everything all at once. I imagine that wouldn't like bring joy and happiness to your life. Like that would be devastating in a lot of ways. And this guy willingly gives up everything in his joy because he found something better in Jesus. And, and this was lost on me until I found Jesus for real. It was. Because I, you know, I knew about Jesus, but there was no joy. Jesus, I thought Jesus was there to actually strip away my joy. He's like, remove all joy now so that maybe you don't have misery later. <laughs> so it was like trying to not make God angry and keep him at bay. This was what I thought it meant to be a Christian. And yet Jesus is saying, no, no, no. There is joy real joy to be found in this, this treasure, right? And even, even John Newton, he talks about this amazing grace, right? He doesn't say, like, grace that found me, and now that God found me, I'm just going to, you know, make sure that I don't piss him off, right? No, he says, this is amazing grace. And he says that it, it was grace that taught his heart to fear, and grace his fears relieved. And he says, how precious how precious did this grace appear the hour I first believed? That Jesus expects that when we find him, that this is going to be pretty exciting. There's going to be joy here. And think about it. Think about it. If the, the whole thing about following Jesus is begrudgingly kind of just doing what he says, so we don't make him angry, that's not very honoring to Jesus, right? I love the, the way this one pastor says it. Uh, J.D. Greer, he says, Say that on my wedding day, my wife stood at the altar and the minister says, Veronica, would you say your vows to JD? And she says, I hereby renounce all my desires for romance, physical intimacy, and happiness to become the wife of JD. I'd say, whoa, I don't want you to forsake those things for me. I want you to find those things in me. See, Jesus, he wants us to find joy in him. He's not asking us to be miserable for him. He, he is the source of of our joy. He is this treasure. And it's true, Jesus will ask us to, to step away from lesser joys. He'll ask us to step away from false promises. He will ask us to step away from things that are going to distract us from this real joy. But the point is so that we can find joy in him because Jesus is a treasure. He is a treasure, right? And, and I want to be super clear about this. Jesus doesn't have a treasure. Jesus is our treasure, right? It's not that Jesus just has some blessings to give us if we can appease him, that he's going to give us something good. Jesus is the treasure that we get. There's nothing, no gift he can give us that can actually be better than him, himself. And I, I get it. Like, Jesus is super generous, and he gives great gifts. And it's good to rejoice in these things. But he is the ultimate treasure. It's not that we use him to get something else. It's not like he's a means to an end. One of the things that was uh, unusual about my mom is that my mom loved sugar. Uh, not sweets, not chocolate, not candy, sugar. Like, just the sweet white grains of sugar. Uh, it was very unusual for me as a kid. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't make sense of it. Uh, there was a Kix commercial. You guys remember Kix, the cereal? kind of looks like an albino cocoa puff that somebody sucked all the fun out of. Uh, so there's this Kix commercial. And in the, the commercial, they would just say, like, oh, you know, there, there's low sugar in it, but it still tastes great. And at the end, it had this tagline, kid-tested, mother-approved. 
it never made sense to me because I'm like, my mom would never approve of this cereal. There's no sugar in it. Because uh, my mom loves sugar, but, but she wasn't a dummy. She knew that like, it's not appropriate to just eat sugar straight up. So she needed a vehicle for her sugar. And so tea became my mom's drug mule. Uh, and so every morning she'd have tea and, and no lie, an eight ounce tea, all right? She would pour in 12 sugar packets, right? She'd take them four at a time, just rip them open and pour them in. Because uh, I don't even think she liked tea. She just wanted the sugar, right? Uh, now, now when, I, when I first started drinking coffee, I, uh, I was similar. I made my coffee like my mom made her tea because, of course, I was 12 and it, the taste was harsh and all of that. But over time, uh, the sugar content got less and less as I began to appreciate the taste of coffee to the point that now I hate having sugar in my coffee. It just ruins it for me, right? Because for me, sugar, it was, it was a means to an end, Right? It was something that I put in my coffee just to make it a little bit sweeter. But for my mom, over time, the sugar content just kept going up. Because for my mom, the sugar was the point. It wasn't a means to an end. It was an end in itself. And it's easy for us as Christians to use Jesus as a means to an end. To think that he has a treasure and that maybe we can, we can do the right things to get these good gifts from him. And yet Jesus is a treasure himself. He's not just something we sprinkle on life to make it a little sweeter, a little more palatable. He is the treasure we pursue. He is the ultimate end for which everything else becomes a means. Is Jesus your treasure? Do you find joy in him? Is he delightful to you? Because the real Jesus, this Jesus, he is a joy-filled treasure. He really is. John Piper, he says, a non-treasured Christ is a non-saving faith. Faith has in it this element of embracing, prizing, relishing Christ, right? Think about it. Think about it. If it's true that Jesus is God, okay, Jesus is God, and he is the creative genius behind every other treasure, every other pleasure, all right, and he is the source of all of these things, and he enjoyed all of these things, and he could have continued to enjoy all of these things for all eternity, and yet he chose in his grace to be stripped of these things, to empty himself, to humble himself, to become a human, to be stripped of his position and his titles and his comfort, to be stripped even of, of his clothes, stripped naked and having his, his clothes messed around for a game, stripped of his dignity, stripped of his friendships, stripped of his blood as it poured out of him, stripped of his breath as he suffocated on a cross, stripped of his very life as he committed himself into the hands of his father, stripped of everything. Why? To save a wretch like me and to make this wretch his treasure. <laughs> you guys get this? That, that Jesus, the, the one who is the source of all treasure, treasures you so very much that he would relinquish all of these treasures to make you his treasure. Is there anything better than him? Is there anyone that can stand up to him? Anything that can hold a candle to him in the joy department? He is amazing. He's the breath in our lungs. He's the light on our faces. He is a friend, all right? He's the friend that will always advocate for you. Isn't that nice? Always advocate for you. He is the lover who will always be faithful. He's the father who will never forsake you, never abandon you. He's the inheritance that will never fade. 
He is the, the purpose that will always bring you fulfillment, always fulfill, right? He is the protector who will never fail. He is more precious than diamonds, more costly than gold. He is the Lord of lords and the King of kings, and in him is amazing grace. How precious, how precious did this grace appear the hour I first believed. Is Jesus your treasure? Do you find joy in him? And, and here's how you can know. This brings us to the fourth quality. See, this Jesus, the real Jesus, the Jesus that makes a difference in people's lives, this Jesus is worth abandoning all else for. Both parables, they see they found something that is worth more than anything else. And they abandon everything for it. Here in the U.S., it's easy to identify as Christian, right? Maybe you'll be sneered at here and there, but like in other parts of the world, to identify as Christian is to take your life into your hands. And, and yet people do this all the time because they found a treasure that's worth abandoning all else for. What would you be willing to give up for Jesus? Because I, I know that there will come a day where for some of you, he might ask you to give up your career. He might ask you to give up your, your uh, position or your home or your, your dreams about the future to go and do amazing things for him. And that, that might happen for some of you. And I know it has happened. Some of you have already given up these things for Jesus because you found in him a treasure worth giving up. And as we go through this series, we're gonna find out though that, that Jesus is gonna ask us all to give up some stuff. He's gonna ask us to give up certain pleasures and certain desires because he says they're not good. Are you willing to give these things up even if it doesn't seem like it's gonna be fun because you found in Jesus a treasure that is greater? What are you willing to give up for this Jesus? See, when you find this Jesus, the real Jesus, when you really find him for yourself, this Jesus who is going to be your king, who's going to be your treasure worth abandoning all else for, this is where transformation happens. And we've seen it over and over and over again. People find this Jesus and their lives are changed because he has the power to redeem anyone and anything. It's amazing. He has the, the power to redeem anyone and anything. A few years ago, Lindsay and I went to see uh, Amazing Grace on, uh, on Broadway. It actually became a Broadway musical, The Life of John Newton. And, you know, it unpacks the whole story. And it got to the end of the show, and at the very end, the whole cast comes out, and they sing Amazing Grace. And as this happened, I just, I started weeping. Because it, it, there was like a personal reason. It was beautiful, but I also, there was this personal reason. Uh, so I love musical theater. Uh, Tony's tonight. Anybody watching the Tony's? Warren's going to be there filming it. Thanks, Warren. Uh, so we could all watch. Uh, but but I, I love musical theater. And when I was uh, a teenager, I took my high school girlfriend into the city to see Rent. Uh, because at the time, Rent was like kind of the Hamilton of its day. Great music horrible content, like really, really bad. Uh, and so for like two hours, it's just debauchery on stage and uh, to, to great music. And I didn't have the discernment as a teenager to recognize I shouldn't be there. Uh, but uh, I, I, I went and I, I saw Rent and here I am, this is 15 years later with my wife and on that very same stage, 
at the Nederlander Theater. I'm seeing a group of people who don't even know Jesus singing praises to his name. <laughs> Amazing grace, because he has the power to redeem anything. <laughs> Even a Broadway stage, he has the power to go into the darkest places and bring about change. If you find this real Jesus, do you know him? There is power in his name. And I just, I pray that if you don't, if you don't, if you don't feel like you have these qualities, if you don't feel like he's your king, if you don't feel like, like he is a treasure worth abandoning all else for, if you don't feel like you found him for yourself, please just don't stop searching. Because he's there and he's saying, I'm, I'm ready, I'm willing. In fact, I've been searching you out. I've been searching you out. Come, come follow me. Because in him is life and life to the full. It's amazing. It's amazing the difference Jesus can make when we meet the real Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, we are just, we are overjoyed that you in your grace, your amazing grace would send your son to die for us so that we can, we can have this treasure worth abandoning all else for. God, I pray that, that we will increasingly come to know Jesus as king, as our joy-filled treasure, that we would be willing more and more to abandon everything that's gonna get in the way so that we can cling to, to you. God, we love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.